I've been spending a great deal of time that you probably didn't expect setting up what I'm going to teach on deliverance and spiritual warfare. We haven't even really gotten to that in this lesson, even though it's titled that. And some of you may be wondering, well, why in the world are you spending so much time in this preliminary discussion? I think it's because this area of spiritual deliverance and defense is an area where there is as much error taught as in any area of Scripture. There are more people that, quote, get these words from God and and, and God talks to them and they see demons and they rebuke the devil, even though nowhere in Scripture do you have anybody, including the apostles and angels, rebuking Satan. I read a passage of Scripture to you a couple of weeks ago where even Michael refused to rebuke the devil and said, the Lord rebuke you. Because he recognized the authority that even the fallen Lucifer still possesses. And he would not speak evil of spiritual powers and dignities or dignitaries in the spiritual realm because he knew his place. And yet you hear Christians all the time rebuking the devil, binding Satan. You you really don't find that in Scripture. Now you do find commands to resist the devil. But you don't, you don't find this stuff about rebuking the devil. Now, we'll talk about that, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll bring some, some stuff to that. But what I'm saying is, you hear all these people talking about all this stuff, but then when you go to Scripture and you try to find where they get this, you, it's nowhere. It's, it's nowhere. In fact, in many of the things that are said and done in churches and in Christian circles, not only is what they say and do not found in Scripture, you can actually find the opposite taught in Scripture. Where scripture says, don't do this. That if you do this, it's the sign of being a false teacher. Now I'm kind of getting the cart in front of the horse here. Because we'll actually look at those passages in the next part of this in part two. But the reason why I'm telling you that is because this area of deliverance and spiritual defense is one of those areas that actually the Bible doesn't say a lot about. And most of the stuff that is said... Are, are extrapolations of things that aren't in the Bible, and to be honest with you, can't even be proven by Scripture, and I'm convinced a lot of it is the white part of the Bible speaking instead of the printed part. And we're always in shaky or on shaky ground when we start doing that. Yesterday at that gathering in Norman, there were all kinds of different speakers, and a few of them were actual preachers, And they're sincere, and they're born again, and so I'm not saying they're fakes or they're heretics or anything like that. But I heard things said from the stage from spiritual leaders that are really not biblical. They're really not biblical. And not only did some of the things I hear, were they not just not biblical, they were actually kind of contrary to parts of Scripture. (laughs) Now, they didn't mean to be. I get it. I I know. I I understand why they're saying what they say. Some of these are just Christian cliches that we've we've grown up hearing. And so we we just, we pray this stuff or we, we declare this stuff. But it's really not biblical. And, and I'm telling you, I think that we either lessen the impact of what God's Word says by saying stuff 
casually, that's actually very serious. And so we lessen the degree to which we ought to be really serious about this stuff. I mean, when we're, sta- when we're talking about rebuking Satan, I mean, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world, according to Scripture. And Dan Fisher's going to rebuke Satan. I'm going to bind Satan. I'm going to bind him. See, those are questions that we need to be asking. So when we're we're talking about all of this, I think it's very important that we remind ourselves of things. And so I know I keep backing up and reviewing certain things. And I hope that's not irritating to you. But this is why I've emphasized that the ministry of Jesus and the apostles was very unique. Common believers, according to Scripture, were not outworking miracles left and right. Now, you'll find those who will lead you to believe that. But friends, in the Bible, that's simply not correct. Miracles were not commonplace as we are often led to believe. Now, if you're talking about the apostles, that's different. But I'm talking about people like me, people like you. People like me and people like you would have not have been working the miracles that the apostles did in the early church. They didn't. We wouldn't. And it's just simply not uh, biblical. Not every believer is an apostle. Now, I I love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the modern apostolic movement, but they're incorrect on that. They are not modern apostles. Now, they are apostles lowercase. I've I've mentioned that before. Uh, But I'm not an apostle of the level of Peter and Paul and John. and I'm just not. If I am, then I can add another book to the New Testament. I mean, books that I've written, I guess, ought to be taped to my, to my Bible. <laughs> ought to take my Bible and then take some duct tape and add that Romans 13 book and tape it to the back of my Bible. Because if I'm an apostle, then that's one of the greatest requirements to writing a book that's considered uh, divinely inspired, added to the, the, the canon of Scripture. That was one of the first and most stringent tests. Was it written by an apostle or was it written under the direct supervision of an apostle by an associate like Luke writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts? Well, he wasn't an apostle, but he's under the direct supervision of an apostle. See, you see the implications? So this is why when these modern-day apostles make all of these proclamations and these prophecies, they expect you to receive them as though the apostle Peter just said it or the apostle Paul just said it. No, they're not the same. And this is where much of this false doctrine and the church of sensationalism has come from. It's from all of this stuff and this total misunderstanding. Now, we, we've already gone through uh, these requirements. But when you look at the requirements for being an apostle, they were incredibly stringent. Uh, you, you had to be handpicked by Jesus. Now, you could all say, well, I'm, I'm chosen by the Lord. That's not what that means. To be handpicked by Jesus does not mean to be a believer chosen because Christ died for you. No, no. To be an apostle, you had to be handpicked. You are an apostle. Number two, they had to see Jesus in his resurrection body, post-resurrection. And then they had to, to be able to work the signs of an apostle. Well, the sign gifts are very specific. 
And so it's, it's, it's very, very uh, important that we understand this because if we don't, uh, we can fall for all kinds of things. There is, a, there is a book or a teaching, and you can hear most of this online, by the way. Jim Osmond, who pastors up in northern Idaho, I wouldn't agree with everything Jim believes because I think he's a Reformed preacher and I'm not a five-point Calvinist. But he's, he's solid on this. And in his book or in his series, he, he argues, is the battle about truth or territory? Because the modern uh, charismatic and non-denominational church is always talking about taking territory. They're always claiming territory. Is that what the Bible really teaches? Or does the Bible say that the real thing we're to be fighting for is truth? And so Jim, I think, effectively argues from Scripture that the battle and spiritual warfare is more about truth than taking territory. It's not about territory. It's about truth. And then truth liberates. See, truth then takes, if you want to call it territory, it accomplishes the kingdom of God. It furthers the kingdom of God. But just walking around claiming things because I'm a Christian and I'm a modern-day apostle and I'm going to claim this territory, that is really not what the Bible says we're to be about. This is a war of truth. Truth and error. And that's why this is so important and why I have so emphasized this. Now, what I want to do here today is to finish up this outline and, and get us... Uh, where we can we can begin a new outline uh, when I return. So we kind of uh, stopped here with there. There's a difference between descriptive and prescriptive, and I made the point that miracles in Scripture are described but not necessarily prescribed. And I used the example of Balaam's donkey. Yes, God spoke through a donkey, but that doesn't mean that you need to go buy a donkey in case God wants to continue to do that. I mean, you don't, you, we don't all need to own donkeys because God speaks through donkeys, obviously. No, no, no. He did it that once, but that doesn't mean that he's going to make a habit of speaking through donkeys unless you're referring to me and Paul. And then maybe that fits. But other than that, so see what I'm saying there? It's described, but it's not prescribed. And you say, well, that's obvious. Well, that may be obvious, but the same principle can be applied to other things in Scripture that we try to force onto a context where they don't fit. And it's, it's very important that we not do this. So it's important to recognize that the sign gifts were performed by the apostles or a close associate. Let me give you some verses. Acts 2.43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through what? The average church members, all the Christians, they're just working signs and miracles. No, the apostles. Acts 5.12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Acts 14.3, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Now the they, by the way, is the apostles, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Notice, once again, the local pastor was not working these miracles. It was the apostle who was there working these miracles. Acts 15, 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. Now, Barnabas is not an apostle, but he is a close associate of an apostle, Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Them who? Paul and Barnabas. Not... Dan Fisher and Paul Blair. And it's very important that we make that distinction. Acts 19.11, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. 
2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle, Paul says, were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. One other passage, Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now, according to Acts, who was working those miracles? Well, the apostles. And it's just critical. Now, You may be saying, well, Dan, are you saying then that God doesn't work miracles today? Are you saying that God could not, by the prayer of of just a common believer like us, we pray over someone that they couldn't be healed? No, I'm not saying that. I I think I've seen that in my life. I think I've seen the church come together and pray for someone. I think I've been in a small group of people praying over someone and they may have been healed. Or at least some of the severity of the illness reduced. I I am not suggesting that God does not do these things. But what I am telling you is that biblically, these these men who can walk around and just pray and it's done and, and crippled legs straighten out and blind eyes can see and deaf ears can hear and all that... That, that is, those are sign gifts of the apostles. It doesn't happen today. Now, can God open blind eyes? Can God open deaf ears? Can God straighten crippled legs? Oh, of course. I'm not saying that could never happen. But I will tell you, that's not commonplace. Because I promise you, the guy that can pull that off is the most famous guy in America. If he can really do that, if he can really raise the dead... He's got a golden ticket that he can cash. That's why I know that they don't do this stuff because it, it's, it's, it's not. And then, then when they're asked to prove it, they, they certainly can't prove it. So let's move on here. Exorcisms in Scripture are the same way. This is why I've made so much effort to, to build this foundation here because exorcisms were performed primarily by the apostles or close associates. And, and you can add the exceptions are Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas. Now, neither one of those three were apostles. Two of them were the first deacons. But you, when you look at the first deacons, they're kind of different from some of the deacons that I've known over the years. Not all, but, but some. Um, and were understood to be a part of the signs and wonders of the apostles. This is important. Because if not... Uh, how can we differentiate? I mean, how, and then people make these claims, like Oral Roberts, that I've brought somebody back from the dead. I can't remember how many. Well, when he's pressed on it, he can't remember any. Doesn't know any names. You, you see, you can make these claims. Benny Hinn can claim to heal all of these people, but then when he's asked by Hank Handograf, can you give me one piece of evidence? And the only evidence that he can give is of a man who had lung tumors surgically removed. And Benny Hinn claims that is his credentials, his bona fides, so to speak. This is the proof that I healed. You didn't heal him at all. A surgeon did that. Now, was the surgeon a gift from God? Yes. Medicine is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I'm not saying that medicine is not of God or not miraculous. I'm just saying that it wasn't Benny Hinn that did it. And that was his best proof. You say, but he's got video footage of all this. Right, he sure does. And how do you know that those cancer patients walked away without cancer? And if they really did, don't you think that he had set up a cancer clinic? 
I mean, come on, I would. Let me promise you, let me promise you right now that if I could heal cancer, I would go set up a clinic or we'd just turn this place into a weekly clinic and I'd just put a bulletin out in, in the Oklahoma City area or Oklahoma or as far away as you can drive here and get here. Come over here and we'll heal you of cancer. If I could do that, you don't think I would? Of course I would. This is the fallacy of all of this. And so when you get into then casting out demons, exorcisms, notice that in Scripture it was always done by the, Jesus, obviously Jesus, or, or the apostles. It wasn't done by the rank and file. Now, we can, we can pull up passages of Scripture where, where the Bible talks about this. Acts 5, verses 12 through 16, uh, talks about how the apostles were there. And so, verse 15, that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some. Now, think about that. God was so working miracles through these apostles that the shadow of Peter could heal people. The shadow, cloths that Paul could pray over. So now modern evangelists, for a, for a specific love offering that you could send them, they'll send you a prayer cloth. I'm telling you, that is cheap merchandising of something in Scripture that is sacred that I would be scared to death to do. I would believe that I was fleecing the sheep and I would be terrified to go to bed at night knowing that I was claiming to have the same power that the apostles did. How about if I uh, hire out as a, a shadow uh, person and I'd just come by your house and I'd, I'd position myself so the sun and I'd let my shadow pass over your house. And for a certain fee, I'll do that. I, I would, I, well, I can't even imagine the thought. But I'm telling you, that's what these modern hucksters do. And it is, it is, it is terrible, and Christian people are, are sucked into this, and they're, they're taken advantage of. But then he goes on to say, Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But who's doing this? Peter. Peter the apostle. Okay, when you go to Acts chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip. Now, Philip is not an apostle, but I think we would all agree he is in that circle of apostles, close associates. He's one of those early deacons. God used him in a miraculous way. God actually took him and just transported him through space and time. You remember the whole story of Philip? He witnesses to the, to the Ethiopian, and then God just takes him and puts him somewhere else. Well, I don't think that's happened to me lately. How about you? I mean, Paul got in, Paul and I got into that uh, jet on Tuesday uh, morning and flew down to Dallas and, and picked up Colonel West, and it kind of felt like we were transporting. I mean, it was pretty fast. I now know why corporations want their own jet. You don't have to go through all that other nonsense that you do at the airports and all that. You just walk out there and get on, and boom, you take off, and you're there, and uh, about the time I would have been at Purcell, we were, we were landing in Dallas. And then you walk in, and, and, and on the tarmac, people are greeting you, and they're actually smiling and saying they're glad you're there. It's not like one of those attendants for the commercial airlines, what do you want? I mean, isn't that kind of deal, you know? 
and, and they were happy that we were there. And we walked into that terminal and met uh, Colonel uh, West. And, man, we uh, got us something to drink, visited for a moment, and then back out. To, and, and we didn't have to go through cavity searches and all that kind of stuff. And there were no AR-15s pointing at us or anything. We got on the jet, boom, right like, like that. And we were back here just as fast. In fact, when we got back, I told somebody, well, we're back. They said, what? I mean, it was that fast. You almost couldn't go through security at Will Rogers and sit there and wait on your delayed flight and get to Dallas as, as quickly as we left here, got down there, picked up uh, Colonel West, and got back. I mean, it's miraculous. But it wasn't as miraculous as what happened to Philip. Now, who's claiming that that's happening to them? I mean, you've got a lot, a lot of these evangelists buying these high zoo jets and saying that God has uh, told me that I don't have enough room to lay down and pray in my jet. I need a bigger jet. That's Jesse Duplantis. For Pete's sake. But if you can do all this stuff, well, why not just do like Philip and just go zip, zip, just like that? You see what I'm saying? They can't replicate this stuff. And by the way, God didn't mean for that to be normative either. He didn't say, well, you know, none of my people have to buy cars. I'll just zip, zip, zip them everywhere. I mean, can you imagine that all just flopping around everywhere? That was not normative. It happened to Philip. But that wasn't something that God was going to do across the board for, for folks. And so then you read here, uh, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. This is the ministry of Philip. Once again, Philip is not the same as Dan Fisher. And you have other passages of Scripture that you can go look up on your own where the Bible gives us what God was doing in those early years in the church. Now, here's something that I think is really, really important that you and I get. And I want to put this up here. Everyone in Scripture who had the power to exercise demons also had the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. Now, that is an elite group. Everyone in Scripture who had the power to exercise demons also had the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. Now, I'm saying that because guys like Bob Larson, if you know who Bob Larson is, and I'm not questioning his salvation, nothing like that, claims that not only can he cast out demons, he interviews them. And they say that a lot of how they know how to get rid of demons is from the demons themselves. The demons have told them all of their weaknesses and how to cast them out. Now, let me ask you something. If you could actually sit down over a cup of coffee and visit with a demon, would you believe anything he said? Who is their master? Satan, what is he called in Scripture among many things? The father of lies. But yet guys like Bob Larson say that they know so much about exorcism because they've been able to, to glean all this information from demons as if the demon would tell them the truth. I mean, isn't one of the practices in, in warfare uh, diversionary tactics and to give the enemy the wrong information and so Hitler thought that the D-Day invasion was going to be in Calais, and instead it's over there in Normandy, and so he's prepared really for the wrong place. I mean, it's still terrible what happened at Normandy because of the, the, the Atlantic Wall and all that kind of stuff. But they, they used diversionary, and he wasn't sure where we were going to invade. He knew we were going to invade, but he didn't know where. 
Well, wouldn't demons be smart enough to know to do that? Yeah, but isn't it interesting that those in Scripture that had the power to do this also could heal the sick instantaneously and raise the dead? Well, I haven't raised any dead people lately. And I have not prayed over blind eyes and just zip, they could see. Now, I've prayed over people, but I'll be honest with you, more people that I've prayed for actually were still sick, and many of them died of that illness than were actually healed. You say, well, then why in Sam Hill did you pray for them? You just cursed them. No, it wasn't that. You know what I always prayed? Certainly I prayed for their healing, but you know what else I prayed for? I prayed for the wisdom and the strength from God that they could bear up under their trial and that God would make good out of whatever it was that was happening in them. Don't you think that if I knew I could just pray that disease out of there that I would have? Did I ask God to heal them of that? Of course I did. I'll never forget a man came to our church at Trinity and uh, he was in the last stages of cancer. Pam, you may remember, they, they sat right down there on the front, would be off to my right where, when I was on stage. And he was frail, and they were just, you know, devastated by his condition. And, and I don't even know that I knew them. But they asked, Pastor, would you pray for him? And I said, of course I would pray for him. And I called some of the elders. And, you know, I don't think that the oil necessarily in a you know olive oil was what scripture was talking about but as a symbol just like we do the lord's supper you know that juice and wafer that's not the body and blood of jesus but it is a symbol so we took a little bit of olive oil and i remember a bunch of us we gathered around this gentleman and we prayed for him and they were just weeping of course we prayed that god would heal him but i prayed beyond that and i prayed that god would help them and reveal himself to them in this trial and he died of cancer. Now, do you not think if I could have healed him of cancer that I wouldn't have? Do you not think that if I knew of someone who had the ability to just say it and it's done and cancer would leave, that I wouldn't have gone and gotten them and brought them to that poor suffering man? Think of the, the extra burden we put on people when we tell them, if you'll just come to my tent revival, I'll heal you of cancer. And these countless hundreds go for that. And they're not healed of cancer. I mean, it just breaks my heart to think about it. So they could, they could heal the sick, they could raise the dead. Not every Christian performed exorcisms. And that in, in, in Scripture is abundantly clear. And as I've already said, miracles in the body of Christ were not commonplace. They just were not. Now, here's the thing that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I think is also a startling revelation. You read about these things going on in the book of Acts, but you realize the book of Acts covered a 30-year period of time. See, sometimes when you read the book of Acts, you almost get the idea that it's two or three months. I mean, it's just everything's buzzing. People are being healed left and right. Dead people coming up out of the graves just left and right. I mean, this thing is just crazy, and it's happening here in just a period of three or four months. No, it's over a period of 30 years. All these people claiming to get all these visions. We'll read about the, the visions that the apostles got. They only got a handful of them. You say, well, there could have been more. Well, yeah, there could have been. I don't know what they did, but I know what Scripture gives us. 
They got a handful. Now we're talking about guys like Peter and Paul getting a handful of vision. And yet these modern guys, they're getting visions all the time. And, and, and let alone the fact that many of these visions and predictions that they make are all wrong. They're all wrong. As time plays out, their, their prophecies don't occur. And we just keep listening. Now, I'm not suggesting we ought to give them capital punishment, but you know that was God's penalty for prophets if they prophesied and stuff didn't happen. Death penalty. I'm not saying that's what we ought to do. I'm just saying that's how seriously God sees this. And boy, I mean, we're just playing with fire here. I I don't know about you, but I have a healthy respect, not only for God, but the angelic powers that I am no match for, including fallen angels. So much so that Michael would not even rebuke the devil and ask the Lord to rebuke him. Now you say, well, Michael could have done it. Well, I don't think he could have. He certainly didn't. And we'll get into some scripture that, that kind of talks about that uh, next time. I, I want to put these up here and then we're, then we're going to be done for today because we're running out of time here. I, I think it's interesting to, to see sometimes how often things occur in scripture. Because I think they say something to us that we ought to be concerned about. Like, for instance, how many times does the word repent show up in Scripture? It's, it's a lot. And yet, how, much, how often does it show up in church? Not so much. Okay, so when you look at the word demon, notice what happens here. It appears in the gospel 67 times. The epistles, seven. Is there a, a kind of a gap there? huge and three times in the book of revelation and generally in the book of revelation when demon appears it's about these end time judgment demons it's not about you know the kind of demon possession that we talk about and casting out demons it's it's these end time judgments the words evil or unclean spirit appear in the gospels 23 times acts 13 times epistles 3 revelation 3 Some of this is overlap. But now notice this. Notice the descending order each time. Do you think that says anything? Now remember, what is the purpose of the epistles? The purpose of the epistles is to tell the New Testament church how to function, how to be salt and light in this world. What is the book of Acts? It's a history. It's what was happening in the first 30 years of the church age while the apostles were still here. You must always keep that in mind. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't truth in the book of Acts that can apply to us, but be very careful about trying to replicate the history of the first 30 years of the church when the apostles were here. There's a lot of that you can't replicate. All these people who claim to be replicating the day of Pentecost, remember one of the things they don't try to replicate is the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Nobody claims to be able to do that. And secondly, what about that fire that was over their heads? That Shekinah glory fire, the same fire that was the pillar of fire that led the Israelites. They don't try to replicate that either. Why? Because they can't. That's why they don't try. Well, if you're going to replicate Acts, why not that? Well, the reasons become pretty obvious. So for a total... You have 90 times in the Gospels that either demons or unclean spirits are mentioned. They're mentioned 13 times in the book of Acts, 10 times in total in the epistles. Of the 119 times these words appear in the New Testament, which you add all those up, 103 are in the historical section of the New Testament. That's the Gospels and the book of Acts. 
which means 87% of all of the demon talk and demon possession and, and exorcism of demons occurs in the Gospels and the book of Acts, not in the epistles. And remember that 13%, part of that's the book of Revelation, which is their end time judgments. That has nothing to do with casting out demons and all that. So here's my point with these numbers. When you begin to look at what God's plan was for the New Testament church, it becomes pretty obvious to me that it wasn't going around primarily casting out demons. Because that's not what we're taught to do in the epistles. In fact, will it surprise you, and I'm kind of going to let the cat out of the bag for our next lesson. I'll have the new outline for you when I get back from Indiana. That there's not one piece of instruction in the epistles about how to cast out demons. There's no instruction about how to do this. Now, isn't it odd that if you listen to modern preachers, and we're supposed to be out casting out demons all the time, that God didn't give us any instruction as to how to do it? No instruction. Now, this is supposed to be what we're doing, but we have no idea how to do it. And so guys like Bob Larson and others claim that they found out how to do it from the demons themselves. Ha, ha, ha. So, what we're going to do now... We've finished all this background. Now let's get into what does the Bible say about deliverance and spiritual defense or what we often call spiritual warfare. So that'll be the second part of this final lesson nine that we're on. It probably feels like a volume nine, but anyway, lesson nine, okay? So please, next Sunday, be here to support Tara if you're going to be in town. I realize it's the fourth, but be here. God bless you guys. I just love teaching you. I hope, I hope that you love being here as much as I love doing it. And if you don't, well, man, we're in bad shape. But anyway, I enjoy teaching the class. So thank you for letting me do it. I, I so appreciate it. God bless you guys. Let's take a break, and then we'll have our worship service here in just a few, few minutes, okay?